a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh, you've heard the rumors and it's true. This is where we gather to revel in wrong think. Seems like a terribly subversive thing to some people, but I'm telling you, it's actually quite exhilarating. And it's nice when you consider that uh, there's an awful lot of effort being expended to keep you and me away from seeing too much of the truth. And you got to ask yourself at some level, why Why is that? Why, why would we have fact checkers and others throwing up smoke screens to make sure that we don't get too close to uncomfortable truths? And I guess maybe that's the key. Those truths make people uncomfortable, not only those who acknowledge them, but they also show us what uh, people in power are currently doing to us or trying to do to us that really aren't in our best interest. In fact, if we really understood what they were trying to do, we might just withdraw our consent and stop going along with them. So, from that standpoint, it makes a great deal of sense. Now, if that's something that uh, computes with you, I say, come and join us. This is, this, is, this is actually a fun journey, even though we do have to face some, some kind of difficult things from time to time. I want to thank the sponsors who make this program possible. They include GarageDoorProServices.com, LifesavingFood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and HSLAmmo.com. And I thought I would start with something a little bit positive today, even though I, I'm going to, this is going to be kind of like eating dessert first rather than uh, the broccoli, because uh, I, I do have some not so great news to share. That's just kind of part of uh, a balanced diet of uh, reality and truth. But just because we're hearing a lot of bad news doesn't mean that we're hearing the whole story. So for a nice breath of fresh perspective, here's Bjorn Lomborg. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research website, AIER.org. And the good news is the world is getting better. Something we might overlook based on, you know, how the news cycle plays out. Bjorn says, it's easy to believe that life on Earth is getting ever worse. The media constantly highlight one catastrophe after another and make terrifying predictions. With a torrent of gloom and doom about climate change and the environment, he says, it's understandable why many people, especially the young, genuinely believe the world is about to end. The fact is that while problems remain, the world is in fact getting better. We just rarely hear about it. We are incessantly told about disasters, whether the latest heat wave, flood, fire, or storm. Yet data overwhelmingly show that over the last century, people have become much safer from all these weather events. Indeed, in the 1920s, half a million people were killed by weather disasters. Whereas in the last decade, the death toll averaged 18,000. This year, just like 2020 and 2021, is tracking below that. Why? That's well, because as people get richer, they get more resilient. Weather-fixated television news would make us think that all these disasters are getting worse, but they're not. Around 1900, 4.5% of the land area of the world would burn every year. Over the last century, this declined to 3.2%. In the previous two decades, satellites have shown further decline in 2021, just 2.5% burned. Unfortunately, all of it was in California. Actually, that's not true, but it, it seems that way sometimes. 
Now, he says this has happened mostly because richer societies prevent fires. Models show that despite climate change, human adaptation will mean even less burning by the end of the century. And despite what you may have heard about record-breaking costs from weather disasters, mainly because wealthier populations build more expensive houses along coastlines, damage costs are declining, not increasing, as a percent of GDP. But it's not only the weather disasters that are getting less damaging despite dire predictions. Why, a decade ago, environmentalists loudly declared that Australia's magnificent Great Barrier Reef was nearly dead, killed by bleaching caused by climate change. The UK Guardian even published an obituary. This year, scientists revealed that two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef shows the highest coral cover since records began in 1985. The Good News Report got a fraction of the attention. That kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Bjorn also says not long ago, environmentalists constantly used pictures of polar bears to highlight the dangers of climate change. Polar bears are even featured in Al Gore's terrifying movie, An Inconvenient Truth. But the reality is that polar bear numbers have been increasing from somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 in the 1960s to 26,000 today. But we don't hear this news. Instead, campaigners just quietly stop using polar bears in their activism. Now, he says there are so many bad news stories that we seldom stop to consider that life is getting much better on the most important indicators. Human life expectancy has doubled over the past century from 36 years in 1920 to more than 72 years today. A hundred years ago, three-quarters of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. Today, it's less than one-tenth. The deadliest environmental problem, air pollution, was four times more likely to kill you in 1920 than today, mostly through people in poverty cooking and heating with dung and wood. Now, despite COVID-related setbacks, humanity has become better and better off. Yet doom-mongers will keep telling you, oh, the end is nigh, and it's great for their fundraising, but the cost to society are sky high. We make poor, expensive policy choices, and our kids are scared witless. Now, we also end up ignoring much bigger problems. Consider all the attention devoted to heat waves. In the U.S. and many other parts of the world, heat deaths are actually declining because access to air conditioning helps much more than rising temperatures hurt. However, almost everywhere, the cold quietly kills many more. He says in the United States, 20,000 people die of heat, but 170,000 die of cold, something we rarely focus on. Moreover, cold deaths are rising in the United States and our incessant focus on climate change exacerbates this trend because politicians have introduced green laws that make energy more expensive, meaning fewer people can afford to keep warm. Lacking perspective means we don't focus first on where we can help most. On a broader scale, global warming prompts celebrities and politicians to fly around the world in private jets, lecturing the rest of us on the rest of us rather while we spend less on problems like hunger, infectious diseases, and a lack of basic schooling. And he asks, when did politicians and movie stars ever meet for an important cause like deworming children? So the point here is we need some balance in our news, but that doesn't mean ignoring global warming. It's a real problem caused by humanity. He says we need perspective. 
To know what to expect from a warming planet, we can look at the danger estimates from the economic models used by the Biden and Obama administrations, revealing the entire global cost of climate change, not just to economies, but in every sense, will be equivalent to less than a 4% hit to global GDP by the end of the century. Dang, that's some perspective right there. He says humanity is getting more prosperous every day. The United Nations estimates that without global warming, the average person in 2100 would be 450% better off than today. Global warming means people will be only 434% richer instead. That's hardly a disaster. And he finishes by pointing out that climate change fear is causing life-changing anxiety. You might be hearing nothing but bad news, but that doesn't mean you're hearing the full story. Again, this is from Dr. Bjorn Lomberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center and a visiting professor at the Copenhagen Business School. I'll, I'll include a link to this article. He's got a lot of links, <clears throat> excuse me, within his article that are worth following if it's, if it's worth it to you to be informed on this issue. But we do, we hear an awful lot about climate change. And I still maintain climate change is real but I don't buy the idea, but it's all because you drive a car because you have a gas engine and rather than an electric car. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't believe it's because you have refrigeration in your home or because you have air conditioning. And I would encourage you again, if you haven't already checked out the YouTube channel for Suspicious Observers, that's really a great uh, channel. And it's with an actual scientist who will show you some of the ins and outs of space weather. And, and what I'm getting at is simply this. Yes, climate change is real, but it's tied to our star, the sun. And it has everything to do with the electromagnetic fields. And, and, and the reason we know this is because we can observe climate change on other planets within our solar system that have no human influence whatsoever. But they are influenced by the cycles of the sun, particularly the electromagnetic cycles. It's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. I'll tell you this. A lot of it goes over your head, but you will pick up the vocabulary as you continue to watch. And you learn a few things that uh, may come in handy for helping to maintain perspective. Now, he also talks about some things called catastrophism that, uh, you know, will definitely get your attention because there's also about a 12,000-year cycle that our sun goes through that uh, causes uh, a flip of the magnetic poles here on Earth. And it has some really dramatic effects. As in, oh, that's what happened to the dinosaurs kind of effects. Anyway, Suspicious Observers. Check them out on YouTube. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Some quick recognition here for Garage Door Pros. This is one of my sponsors, and it would mean the world to me if you were to do business with them. This is especially for those of you listening in the area of uh, southwestern Utah, St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City. We're talking installation, service, and repair on garage doors for residential or commercial purposes. That's Garage Door Pros. Their website is garagedoorproservices.com. In fact, if you're going to go to their website, take a moment to read some of the reviews of what their customers are saying about them. 
I mean, there's there's nothing as effective as a good testimonial from someone who's actually done business with Garage Door Pros. And you will see very quickly, they go above and beyond for their customers. Check it out for yourself. Well, those of us who grew up rooted in reality, uh, we find ourselves trying to adjust daily to the new normal. And, and of course, you know, that's not without risk. Got a great article here from Bob Weir. This is from AmericanThinker.com about how coherent thinking can get you fired. I know. Check it out. He says, what have you, have you, he asks, first of all, have you ever wondered about the phrase common sense? Simply put, it's a rational way of thinking that comes naturally to all humans. It's an innately provided type of knowledge that's unspoken and unwritten. <clears throat> it's also taken for granted. Now, he says, we acquire such reasoning imperceptibly from the day we're born. Such reasoning keeps us from even contemplating notions that violate our God-given ability to make prudent judgments. Contrarily, an irrational way of thinking might cause us to accept such statements as, my dog drove me to the supermarket, or my mother is much younger than I am. Now, he says, there was a time when being rational was not only acceptable to civilized society, but required if you expected to be part of any serious discourse. Only about a decade ago, if you were chatting with some friends at a social gathering and you heard someone say, there are more than two genders and men can get pregnant, you'd probably start edging your way toward another part of the room. Moreover, you'd likely mention to the host that a strange guest has crashed the party. Fast forward to today and not only would such comments be acceptable, but those who disagreed might be called ugly names or worse. Bob Weir says, case in point, students at University of Southern Maine demanded that their education professor be fired because she told her class that there are only two sexes. Professor Christy Hammer made the very rational comment during a class on creating a positive learning environment. Well, according to one student, Elizabeth Liebiger, who characterizes herself as non-binary, such a statement caused her to feel that she was under personal attack. Now, one wonders why the professor, who's among the 99.999% of the planet belonging to the binary world, didn't feel under personal attack from someone who may be dangerously deranged. And it didn't take long before 21 of the 22 students in her class, having been indoctrinated by left-wing dogma, which evidently robbed them of common sense, joined in the attack victim, joined the attack victim rather, <clears throat> by walking out during a class session and demanding that a restorative justice meeting be held with the university's School of Education and Human Development. In the category of you can't make this stuff up, student Lieberger said, Professor Hammer is not qualified to teach positive learning environments. Imagine a million years of biological science being trashed by a bunch of spoiled children who've been thoroughly brainwashed into believing that gender is not to be determined by someone's sex organs. Can you envision a scenario in which a doctor delivers a baby, holds it up for inspection, and says to the mother, you have given birth to a seven-pound baby something or other? Anyway, after the restorative justice meeting was held, students were even more outraged because the professor stood firm in her position that only male and female sex designations exist. The ra that rational decision was followed by a student walkout with the stipulation that they'd only come back if the school installed another professor, evidently one that had a backbone made of jelly. Bob Weir says, during a saner time in our history, these intransigent brats, brats rather would have been told to get back to class or get the hell out of school. However, we're not living in an era of sound mind and rational thought. 
Therefore, as some students continued to refer to the professor as transphobic and demanded that she undergo diversity training or retire, the Wobbly-Need Interim Provost of the University declared that necessary support will be provided to those students who may have been psychologically damaged by the professor's comments. Where do they get these namby-pamby leadership impersonators? Ultimately, the so-called Institute of Higher Learning came out with an alternate plan for the students who simply couldn't bear the thought of tolerating someone who's living in the real world. Although the professor wouldn't be fired, she'd be assigned to teach a class of students who wish to accept her version of, of biology. Good luck finding enough students to fill a classroom in the bitterly dysfunctional atmosphere suffocating our educational system. Never before has the phrase, the inmates are running the asylum, been so applicable. Agreed. That's, I, I'm still just shaking my head. That's actually an issue. And somebody, somebody had called out, uh, who was it, J.K. Rowling, the inventor of the, the creator of the Harry Potter series of books. She's the, the highly successful author, probably worth a billion dollars or more. I mean, she really has done well. And, and they, you know, were trying to shame her. They tweeted to her, how can you sleep at night knowing that you're a transphobic monster? And I liked J.K. Rowling's response, which was along the lines of, well, after I read my uh, latest uh, royalty check, I managed to sleep quite well. (laughs) Right up there with Liberace. I cry all the way to the bank, you know. All I know is it takes effort to stay rooted in reality. And sometimes that effort is going to require a willingness to suffer the slings and arrows of people who, for whatever reason, are in the grip of some kind of a psychosis. And I'm not saying you need to treat them like bitter enemies and spit on them and otherwise treat them as, as you know, you know, animals. But I think it's only fair to point out they're not operating in reality. They're not using their heads. Many of them are running on pure emotion. If anything, you just got to be careful not to get sucked into some kind of a, you know, argument or debate with someone who has slipped through the event horizon of irrationality and is not going to be made to see the truth. That can be pretty tough, especially if that someone is influencing other people who actually have power to take your job from you. It's kind of a powerful incentive to break out of the employee mindset wherever possible and to to do your own thing. I know that's not going to be an option for everybody, but we're getting to the point where if you don't want to be canceled, you've got to be able to do something that has you independently making your own way. And that's uh, that's a tough thing to, to deal with. I know it's just this is just a season. It's going to pass at some point, <clears throat> probably right after uh, the the crazies run this thing all the way into the ground. But there will always be people required to rebuild once the masses have run things into the ground. That duty is going to fall to people like you and me. And that doesn't mean we should be smug because we're so much better than them. It simply means we have recognized something that other people either haven't yet recognized or refuse to recognize. But it's, it's, you know, you find yourself in a position where you have to make the decision sometimes. Do I separate myself from so-called polite society? And I don't mean go hunker down on a mountaintop somewhere and just wait for it all to crumble. I mean, like, you have to spiritually and and sometimes uh, emotionally separate yourself from where most of society really feels comfortable. 
Uh, by the way, I don't believe for a second that most of society actually believes, oh, yes, men can get pregnant, and, you know, there is no difference between men and women. There's 87 different flavors of gender. I really believe it's a fad. And I say that in the sense that you look how quickly that has become the conventional wisdom and that has become the imperative. Everybody must believe this. Things that go up quickly tend to come down quickly. And I think we're going to see this, and the snapback is going to be epic. But in the meantime, the task before you and I is to stay rooted in reality, to, to maintain kindness towards people who disagree with us, and to continue to seek the truth, even if the truth sometimes is painful. It sounds easy enough, right? But when you've got 21 out of 22 students clamoring to get you removed from your job, I imagine that's a, that's a bit of pressure. Probably quite uncomfortable. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to invite you to please consider subscribing to my show notes, which I publish on a daily basis. They include links to all the various articles, commentators, and guests that I have on the program. And yes, they will add to your understanding. I'm not saying they're going to give you all the answers to life's mysteries, but I make a very concerted effort to seek out truth every day and to speak it and share it as best I can. If you'd like to benefit from that and do your own pursuit of truth, which is really what it's all about, feel free to subscribe. Go to thebrianhideshow.com, click on show notes. You'll find the subscribe button there at the bottom of the page. All it requires is your email, which I will never share or sell or otherwise give to somebody else. Well, never one to let a good crisis go to waste. President Biden has extended the state of COVID emergency, even though he says the pandemic is over. You catch that? The public health emergency has now been extended, but there is no real public health emergency. I want to touch on two quick things here. Stephen Lendman, this is a piece published on LewRockwell.com today, says, what dominant dark, what dominant dark U.S. forces and their MSM press agents call a public health emergency doesn't exist. Not now or at any time since seasonal flu was renamed COVID with diabolical aims in mind. He says, since the scheme was rolled out in late 2019, the public has been consistently lied to and mass deceived to unwittingly inflict self, self-inflict harm. Count the ways. Unrelated to protecting public health, 2020 lockdowns caused economic chaos, greatly harmed the development of children, and made people fearful of publicly interacting together. Administered at high cycles, rendering them invalid, PCR tests are all about creating large-scale numbers of false positive results. Masks provide zero protection and risk respiratory harm from long-term use. Social distancing adversely affects normal interactions, providing no protection. Kill shots were designed to destroy public health and shorten lifespans. He's taking a pretty hard stand here, right? Jabbed individuals comprise the vast majority of flu, COVID outbreaks, hospitalizations, and adverse reactions, including deaths. That is probably the most unpleasant truth that you're going to hear today. And he says the indisputable conclusion from all of the above and what relates to it is that kill shots and all else flu COVID related is the mother of all state sponsored scams with mass extermination 
and elimination of what little remains of greatly eroded freedoms in mind. The U.S. Western regimes and their MSM co-conspirators are mortal enemies of public health, the rule of law, and what societies, what just societies want most. Now, that's a pretty harsh analysis from Stephen Lindman. I don't disagree with him, though. And I think, actually, you know, I know people, Brian, this sounds like conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, it all did. But I remember when this conspiracy theory stuff that we were hearing in 2020 suddenly was borne out by the facts and no longer a conspiracy. I'm not saying every conspiracy theory is right. I'm saying sometimes the kooks do get it right, though. Realizing full well, I'm probably one of those kooks. Now, for a more measured response, but one that is just as sharp as a razor, let's turn to James Bovard, who writes about how President Biden keeps the COVID emergency going so he can act like a dictator. This is the political analysis that that I think makes a great deal of sense. Jim Bovard says the Biden administration proclaimed last Thursday that America's COVID emergency continues Yet last month, President Biden told 60 Minutes, the pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're doing a lot of work on it, but the pandemic is over. And so Jim asks, how can there still be an emergency when the pandemic is over? Well, because the emergency is that Democrats need votes. President Donald Trump decreed the first COVID emergency in early 2020. Rather than an official White House proclamation, the latest emergency extension occurred via a bureaucratic form letter posted online. As a result of the continued consequences of the coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 pandemic, on this date and after consultation with public health officials as necessary, I, Xavier Becerra, Secretary of Health and Human Services, do hereby renew the emergency for another 90 days. Now, Jim says, by this standard, as long as there are any continuing consequences from COVID, Biden can perpetuate the emergency that gives him vast new powers. Administration officials warned that COVID cases could increase in the coming months. Plus, another asteroid might pass within 100 million miles of Earth, so, you know, better safe than sorry. Bovard says Biden's emergency perpetuation seeks to provide a legal whitewash for his $400 billion-plus student loan bailout charade. Biden justified the bailout by citing the HEROES Act of 2003, a law passed to assist soldiers and their families during the war on terror. Lawsuits are challenging Biden's debt cancellation. The Supreme Court may strike it down, but not until after Democrats have pocketed legions of votes from grateful beneficiaries in the midterm. Extending the emergency also enables the federal government to continue providing Medicaid and children's health insurance program benefits for 15 million people who could not otherwise qualify. Since Biden took office, more than 2 million illegal immigrants have crossed into this nation as his appointees opened the floodgates. But with indignation about the immigrant surge erupting even on Martha's Vineyard, The Biden administration announced Wednesday that it will expel all Venezuelans entering the U.S. illegally and that other nations' immigrants will also likely be targeted. Team Biden is relying on Title 42 public health order that that Trump imposed as part of the COVID emergency response, a policy that Biden previously condemned, but it's unclear whether Biden's Title 42 crackdown on immigration will continue after Election Day. The party that claims to defend democracy is practicing tyranny. 
giving Biden extra presidential powers. And he's spending money Congress has not approved and making decisions that are constitutionally wrong and reciting a single word, COVID, to justify it. Biden's emergency extension should spur Americans to recognize how fighting COVID with a political iron fist was an unmitigated disaster. I just, I've kind of made it a habit. When I see that uh, James Bovard has published something, I like to see what he has to say because the man gets it. And so I recommend him as a great resource for wrong thinkers like you and me. If you want to have a little better take on what's happening, Jim's a really good resource. And, and one of the things that is so disturbing to me, I'm, I'm seeing this here in, in my, my home state of Idaho. Um, the governor of Idaho, Brad Little, locked the state down, issued a stay-at-home order. And by the way, it was very ruthlessly enforced. I mean, if you wanted, you wanted to see uh, whether law enforcement would click their heels and go along with whatever the governor says, sadly, they failed that test and did exactly that. And you see people like Sarah Brady being arrested for taking her kids to the park. I still think of the, the people being arrested for, you know, standing and singing hymns in their church parking lot. Oh, yes, this is serving the public. This is serving their safety. And, and yet the most infuriating part is after issuing and then extending this order over and over again in order to get, I think it was about $19 billion worth of federal COVID relief money, Governor Little lies through his teeth. Now he's campaigning, right? Oh, I'm, you know, I, of course I should be your guy. I never locked anything down. He's as bad as that slippery little weasel, Dr. Fauci, who can twist everything and play on semantics. Well, let's see if we understand exactly we're talking about the same thing here. I'm sorry, I'm feeling my blood pressure spike just a little bit even talking about it. This is, this is the new pattern. Even when confronted with the reality, even when you hand them the receipts, is this not uh, what you exactly said and did? Here's the video of you making the announcement, Governor. They double down and they lie to our faces. And the crazy thing is there are people still grasping for a reason to believe, well, the governor had to do something. You know, what are you going to do? Just let nature run its course? And I say this with all the love I can muster. You idiot. Nature did run its course. Nature didn't care about what some politician's words on paper said. The virus did exactly what viruses have always done, and that is it spreads through the population until it becomes endemic. So the best thing to do was not to shut down society and tell people you cannot gather. Sorry, your grandma's going to have to die alone in the nursing home there. You can't be near her. You can't be with her. That's exactly what they did. Previous pandemics have come and gone. The best approach has always been protect the most vulnerable, but largely let people live their lives as normally as possible. Let them assess the risks for themselves. My great concern is that the lying liars and their media enablers are going to get away with it. That they're going to successfully stampede enough people in the, in the direction of, oh, no, you need, to get, you need to get deeper into that straight jacket. You need to be fitted for more restraints because scary things are going on out there. Look, it's just my opinion, but uh, there's, there's nothing scarier than the loss of your freedoms. Because you don't get them back just for asking. You can go there with tears in your eyes, your hat in your hand. Please, sir, may I have my freedoms back? The people who tried to take them away are not going to give you permission. 
You know why the pandemic ended for most of us? Because we decided that we were done with it and started living our lives as if that were the case. And then the politicians just tried to follow along. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, thanks to lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and hslammo.com. Their names are pretty self-explanatory, but if you click on the links I provide in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, I'm sure you could find something interesting at each of their websites. Well, you probably already noticed there's a lot of instability around us. It's, it's growing all over the world. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is a lot of it is deliberate, but there's a lot of it, too, that's just, you know, this is part of the cycle of, of that fourth turning. And, uh, and it's, it's intensifying. Now, the good news is it's not going to last forever. Got a great article here from Albert, or I'm sorry, Alan J. Pfeiffer. What comes after the current chaos? This is a pretty good summary of what's going on. If nothing else, it'll make you feel good. Like, okay, somebody is paying attention here. Alan Pfeiffer says, false narratives control many of us. There are myriad reasons why our country finds itself a shell of what we once were. And he says it didn't happen overnight or by accident. And while we talk about causation a lot, It is the consequences and fallout from making bad choices that will find you regardless of your political persuasion, race, or where you came from, or even your social standing. No one will escape what's coming unscathed unless we find our footing and take back our lives and our country through any means necessary. Now, he says returning to who who we were will be hard, but not making the effort guarantees failure on a monumental scale, likely worse than world wars, worse than any pandemic, and worse than any social privation we've ever experienced. If we cop out, when the last strut holding us up gets kicked out, an entirely new world of hurt will quickly become almost everyone's experience. So his point is we must prevent that from happening. We can, and we must, but not the way you might think. When you watch or listen to the real news, you hear political and societal wildfires breaking out everywhere all at once. And here are some good examples. In Europe today, people are chopping wood to stay warm this winter as they did hundreds of years ago because the cost of energy is breathtakingly high. And he asks, are we next? Judges, drunk with COVID power, are forcing jurors to wear masks even in the absence of any mandates to do so. Jail for noncompliance. By the way, that is an actual story he links to. A judge, someone showed up for jury duty and a juror asked to speak to the judge and said, look, I I know you're requiring masks in your courtroom. I don't want to wear a mask. And the judge, who was not wearing a mask at the time, says, well, I find you in contempt, threw the guy in jail. Yeah, talk about drunk on power. And then, of course, uh, perhaps you saw this story just a few days ago. Climate change warriors throw tomato soup on Van Gogh's masterpiece Sunflowers painting to protest the use of oil paint. Alan Pfeiffer says such signs are everywhere and contribute greatly to our society splintering. Alan's rule number 14 is at work here. Dumb people can be convinced of anything. Acceptance of outrageous behavior and thinking is on us. And he says four factors are relevant. Number one, the effect of chaos in our country. Number two, our, abil- our personal inability to discern reality. 
Number three, America's role in the world. And number four, what keeps us from coming together as countrymen? So on the first item, chaos is a root cause issue. Socialists, communists, leftists, nihilists, provocateurs, and at all depend on a state of chaos to be able to go about their work unimpeded. Only by using the distractions they create can they keep the spotlight off them long enough to place that next wrench in the machinery of our lives. These influence groups probably imagine a seminal moment when the hordes of people will take to the street and in one fell swoop depose the establishment as France did with the storming of the Bastille, or as in Russia with the October Revolution that saw the Bolsheviks consolidate their power to birth the Soviet Union. Mostly, though, he says that chaos is the cover that sees incremental rather than revolutionary change. Incremental change accomplished under the banner of chaos is never well thought out and doesn't stand up to intellectual scrutiny. The second factor is the inability of too many of us to discern reality from fiction. You wouldn't think so many people on opposite sides of an issue could somehow agree on the tactics of of confusion, but they have. Let's try and break this down a bit. Democrats and Republicans, just to name two opposing groups, disagree on almost everything. This you know. But when you examine their messaging, their individual talking heads who go on Sunday morning shows and their competing focus group messaging and rhetoric, something strange happens. Each makes the points that speak most loudly to their constituencies, not the persuadable other side you would think they covet. Even political debates are frequently not persuasive around the margins. All the aforementioned groups and others decided their messaging would, in in itself, be divisive and not inclusive. Now, he says, previously, I didn't understand why. A clue came to me when I remembered Mao's hatred of intellectuals, whom he killed by the tens of thousands. We see the CCP's continued hatred of intellectuals to this day. The communist parties of China, Russia, Cuba, our school boards, and the left, among others, all fear getting off message. Why? It's sort of like a nod to George Orwell's Animal Farm with the refrain, four legs good, two legs bad. Consistent and broad-based messaging is difficult, unless you keep it simple and enforce message discipline. Virtually all sides don't trust their own people to freelance messaging, and therefore place a premium to stay on message. Now, item three considers the hotly debated role of America's place in the world. We seem to be about as evenly split as ever with half the people not caring a whit about what's happening elsewhere and the other half intensely glued to their television set, iPad or mobile device, absorbing every nugget that supports their view, whether informed or not. He says, I'm a believer in the butterfly effect. That is defined by Merriam-Webster as a property of chaotic systems such as the atmosphere by which small changes in initial conditions can lead to large-scale and unpredictable variation in the future state of the system. And Alan Pfeiffer says, The system I'm most concerned with is our world. I believe it's impossible to ignore world events and not to project what they may ultimately mean for us. To ignore the world inevitably leads to having to face future threats at a disadvantage. Such behavior is ultimately self-destructive. Now, the simple answer to our fourth topic is inertia and the media. Inertia, according to my physics teacher, states that an object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion in a static environment. In our society, the media helps to determine what's static and what's not. The media has taken it upon itself to distinguish fact from conjecture. By doing so, they have forgotten their mission and have become just another influence group. 
A free society depends on reliable, factual, and understandable information. How do we get today's media to become legitimate news reporters once again? That's a huge question. One for which he says, I don't have an answer. Do you? No news here. Our education system has failed us. COVID has exacerbated an already crisis-level learning situation for our young. But the downward spiral of our education began long before COVID. No democracy can survive with legions of uneducated people choosing to vote for safety and an easy life. Life is hard and frequently unfair. Get over it. Too many of us remember the joy of creating the greatest economic and social system on earth through personal effort, work, risk, and sacrifice. Not Happy Joe delivering his latest goodie paid for with free money. So Alan J. Pfeiffer says sooner or later we'll have to pay our bills. Skipping out on our debts will lead to social societal disruption on a scale that most cannot comprehend. Like all wars, all great trials and tribulations, we'll get to the other side one day. The open question is, will we like where we wind up? And he concludes, God bless America. So that's a pretty daunting thing that's, that's laid out there before us. And I think he's, he's actually right about all of the observations he's making here. And that leaves you and me with a question. Okay, so what can I do? And I hear you. And I've said these words myself. I still say them sometimes. I'm just one person. I'm not important. I'm not even smart. I'm not rich. What difference could I possibly make with such huge challenges staring us right in the face? Now, I get it. On the one hand, it's like, okay, that's a pretty easy out. Well, look at me, man. Look, I'm a speck of dust in a giant, ever-expanding universe. How am I going to make a difference? Well, I want to challenge that notion. And I want to challenge it by suggesting to you that each of us as individuals, I don't care what, what your station in life is, great or small, I think we were born to make a difference. And I mean that in the most individual sense possible. I think we tend to underestimate what a difference looks like. It doesn't have to be something that makes headlines or results in a Nobel Peace Prize or even a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize. The difference that we were born to make is something that we have to discover for ourselves. Although I'm going to tell you that discovery becomes much easier when you enlist the help of your creator. People who tap into that, who find that sense of personal purpose and find the, the, the mission, if you will, that they were given to change the world in a positive way, do miraculous things. Is it something everybody knows about? No, sometimes it isn't. But that difference is absolutely real to the people within their circle of influence, and that's why it has to take place. Find the courage to find your purpose. Consult your creator if that's what it takes. But the world needs you to do what you were born to do. This is The Brian Hyde Show.